Today we continue, we're in Matthew chapter 1, the title of the sermon is The Miracle of Family Redemption. Matthew's going to open his biography of Christ by perhaps uh, one of the most uh, boring intros, uh, certainly from a modern perspective, that you can imagine. In fact, if you were to buy a book, I think that opened this way, most of us would probably return the book. Uh, it's The Genealogy of Christ. It's a long list of names. I'm going to read every name in the list. I've done my best to practice the names. We'll see how I do. You may, at the end of the sermon, think, gosh, I wish Kelly had skipped this part of the book and moved on, but I'll do my best to handle it. So we're in Matthew chapter 1, looking at the family of the Messiah. I'll begin in verse 1 and read 17 verses. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. If you've got your copy of God's word open and you're an underliner, I'd underline Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadad, Abinadad the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. I would underline Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, underline Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Her name's not even given. Wonder what's going on there, I'd underline Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzzah, Uzzah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, which we talked about, or I talked about, and you listened last week, the man who wouldn't take a sign from God, and God said, I'll give you a sign anyway, a son will be born to a virgin. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. I'd underline Babylon, not a bright spot in the family of God's family uh, tree. After the exile of Babylon, twice now mentioned, Je Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eli Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord for us. Thanks be to God. Right. Why begin a story of something as marvelous as God being born in the flesh to care for us in our sinfulness with something as dull as a genealogy? Let's be honest, if a book opened this way, I do think we would probably return it. We would thumb through it, standing at Barnes & Noble or wherever we get our books, we'd see a genealogy and we'd place it firmly back on the bookshelf. But in Matthew's day, Jewish readers of the first century would want this type of opening. It would be necessary for a biography. See, Matthew's readers would want proof, proof that if Jesus is the Messiah, he had the lineage to go with it. What about Jesus of Nazareth? Should we know to think he is, in fact, the Messiah? One's lineage was important for the first century world because one's position of authority, one's role in the community was directly tied to having the appropriate family tree. For example, to be a priest, 
a Jewish man had to produce an unbroken line of ancestry all the way back to Aaron. So in Matthew's day, that's a 1500, thereabout, ancestral demonstration of being in the right family in order to be a priest. And if a Jewish priest wanted to get married, he could only marry a woman who could produce five generations back, going back five generations, that she was in the appropriate lineage as well. Bear in mind that we, listeners, most of us don't know the first names of our great-great-grandparents, which I know that many of you will spend the rest of the sermon trying to figure out, do I know? I had all week to prepare and still don't know the the first names of my great-great-grandparents. So if Jesus was to be considered Messiah, Matthew would first have to prove he's born to the right family. And in Matthew's efforts to demonstrate that Jesus does have the right pedigree, he provides more than simply a list of names. And what could otherwise be a pretty stale reading, Matthew highlights some important aspects of God's character, purposes, and power that should be, provide real takeaways for us this morning such that we live differently the rest of the afternoon and the rest of our lives. So although it can be hard, I believe we can glean some things. Here's the first thing we can glean, fairly obvious. Matthew's genealogy reminds us of God's faithfulness. For example, the list begins with Abraham, the father of the faith, the one to whom God had given the original promise. It's on the screen in the first book of the Bible, Genesis 12. I'll make you into a great nation, and I'll bless you. I will make your name great, and, we'll be, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. We just finished a series in the book of Revelation, talking about every nation and tribe and language group is being brought into the family of God. We see this is, in fact, the declaration of God at the beginning of time. I'm going to bless all the peoples of the world through you. We are here this morning in this room receiving those blessings through the descendant a descendant, namely, of Abraham, Jesus. We now stand approximately 4,000 years away from the promise given to Abraham, a promise to bless all the nations of the world through his offspring. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time annual. That's what we live out uh, each day of the year. And although it may feel like God is moving terribly slowly, we can rest assured that God is faithful. He keeps his promises No matter how frustrated we may feel this morning about the timing of God to work in our lives personally, we can rest assured that he he makes and he keeps his promises. Reading on in the genealogy, 14 generations later, King David is pointed out. David's significant because it was to David that this good news was reiterated. The blessings of peoples through him. Abraham's descendant David, he writes... God speaks to David saying, your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. God's promises, David, that even after he's dead, another king will succeed him whose reign will last forever. Of course, from our vantage point, looking back, we see that that is Christ who sits eternally on the throne of David, the inheritor of God's promises, the fulfillment of the promises made to David. Even at the time that Matthew wrote his gospel, the Jewish nation was an occupied territory controlled by foreign powers, namely Rome, and their future as a nation was threatened at best. 
Matthew's audience had little political power, uh, little military power, little real hope, little to sustain them other than the promises God had made to Abraham and to David. Promises that they were counting on would one day be, be fulfilled. But how would that happen? Matthew sits down to put pen to paper to explain, here's how it's going to happen. Second thing we can take away from Matthew's genealogy is that it provides us with a clear look at the providence of God. It highlights God's providence in his work of redemption in the world. Providence may be a new word for some of us. It simply means that God governs all of creation and that he does so even through the ordinary, the normal means, events of human history. Uh, most notably, his providence means he works through broken people. He works despite people to save people. I'll give you four examples, all four from today's genealogy. God's providence means that even a woman as unfortunate as Tamar and even a man as immoral as her husband, Judah, and even a woman as sinful as Rahab or as marginalized as Ruth or as victimized as Uriah's wife. What's her name? Anybody know? Bathsheba, and even a man as cruel and self-absorbed as King David can still be used by God in his work of redemption and can be included in the family tree of the Savior, can be included in the family of God. This means that God is greater than any misfortune we might experience, have experienced, will experience, or any sin we have committed, or any loss we have absorbed, any victimization that we've endured, any stain by which we've been marked or marked others. The message of Christmas is that there is hope, and there's power, and it's evident in the family of God. A beloved scripture in the New Testament reminds us of this. Paul writes, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to to his purposes. In today's genealogy, God's providence is clear. His work through the hellish circumstances that we experience. Matthew includes the names of four women whose lives the nation of Israel would not have been eager to remember. He also includes the names of their husbands. That's not as surprising, unless, of course, we're willing to be honest about their behavior. Are we willing to be honest about their behavior? But to list any woman at all in a genealogy was countercultural. One's lineage would have most often, most certainly been revisited, traced through the line of the male descendants because women were considered property in the first century. Father and husband, they had legal standing. The women in the household did not. In fact, to include women would have offered those critical of Jesus' credentials ammunition to take aim at his claims of being the Messiah. And we can assume that Matthew would have known this. He would have certainly known this, which means we can also assume Matthew includes the names of these women to make a point. What might that point be? Well, I believe Matthew includes these names to comfort us, encourage us, challenge us, invite us, and I hope to do the same this morning. 
Tamar, the mother of Perez and Zerah. Tamar was most likely of Hittite descent. It means she was from a nation outside of Israel. She was not most likely born an Israelite. She was taken as a wife by a man named Ur, E-R, and brought into the Jewish nation. Unfortunately, the marriage of uh, Tamar to Ur was short-lived. Ur was a wicked man whom God struck down. Because of the law of inheritance, a law meant to care for women rather than marginalize them in the ancient world, Tamar wasn't to be left husbandless or childless. It was her brother's duty to ensure the continuance of his deceased uh, brothers, his deceased kinsmen's family. And so he was to take Tamar as his wife. His name was Onan. Unfortunately, Onan took Tamar as his wife. He was also wicked. I won't get into the details. They're far too um, gritty for Sunday morning. Suffice it to say, Onan was wicked as well. He's struck down by God. To make matters worse, her father-in-law Judah was afraid for the life of his third son, Ur, Onan, two strikes. He doesn't want to offer his third boy to Tamar, thinking Tamar's the problem. Instead, he, he yeses her and says, well, wait a while. This left Tamar disgraced, without a husband, frustrated with her childlessness, without a secure place in the family. And in her desperation, she acts immorally, dressing as a prostitute and deceptively selling herself, he doesn't recognize her, to her father-in-law. You can't make this stuff up. Judah lacked sexual restraint and unknowingly impregnated his daughter-in-law. Their union produced twins, and the Messiah came through one of those boys. Perez. You can see why the Israelites would be less than eager to remember this bit of history. These are not shining moments in the family of God. The good news is, though, it didn't stop God's plan of redemption. The good news is our sin does not stop the love of God. There I'll ask for an amen. The good news is, but what we would expect, that Perez and Zerah would be cast out, God includes them and works through them to save the world by sending his one and only son. We'd expect that Onan, Ur, right, Perez, Tamar, Judah maybe, be placed to the side. God's providence is greater than our sinfulness. Now, a couple of thoughts here quickly, all right? First, Tamar's inclusion in the family tree is in no way greenlighting things like fornication, deception, prostitution, any more than anyone else's inclusion in the biblical narrative or anyone's inclusion in this room in the family of God is giving permission to continue in sin. Lord, help us if that's our takeaway. Where, where sin increased, grace increased all the more, but we should not go on sinning. We should see clearly that, yes, God overcomes our sinfulness with his gracious provision through Christ, and we should see that when we sin, all hell it breaks loose in our lives, and we're robbed of the joy and the life that God would want, and we should work to get as far away from sinful habits as possible. When reading the Bible, we need to understand that some things are listed descriptively, some things are listed prescriptively. A description is this is what happened. A prescription is thus live this way. Tamar's story is not prescriptive. <laughs> Judah certainly isn't either. It's descriptive 
of how God is greater than all our sinfulness. God's providence. He works through anybody despite us. Next, Rahab. Much more well-known story, but no less scandalous. She was a prostitute in the largest Canaanite city in the Promised Land, the first city that was addressed, that is Jericho. If you feel too sinful for God to include you in his work of redemption, this story should draw you great comfort. You may remember the Israelites famously attacked the city. They marched around it for seven days, blew trumpets. The walls came down. They marched in. But before they attacked the city, they sent in spies to spy out the city. Rahab, the prostitute, who probably lived on the outer wall, she receives the spies, cares for the spies, hides the spies so that they get back successfully to their camp. For this, they promise that she will be saved out of the destruction of the city. The walls come down. She and her family safely are included in the nation of Israel. It's a beautiful story. The takeaway is that God's providence is greater than the culture in which we're born. Man, that's good news. The materialism that's rampant within the culture I'm born in need not hold me back from knowing the freedom of not living to acquire things not living for a paycheck. I'm not, I'm not consigned by the people, I'm, the family I'm born into. If you've used your family of origin or the, your culture of origin as an excuse not to follow Jesus, Rahab's story takes that off the table. Next is Ruth, also a foreigner, a Moabite. Sadly, her father-in-law, her husband, and her husband's only brother all die. So Ruth had to decide whether to stay in Moab, her home, or go back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Israel. Going to Israel would have meant for Ruth that she would be forsaking her family, forsaking her gods, the Moabite gods. She would be identifying with the family of her mother-in-law, Naomi, and adopting the gods of Naomi, namely Yahweh. Because of her ethnicity and the death of her husband, Ruth had no social standing. She would have been relegated to poverty, most likely. Leaving Moab, going back to the promised land, relegated to poverty. In fact, that's, that was her experience. She ends up gleaning on the edges of the field of a man who owns the field named Boaz, gleaning his means to pick crops that are left on the edge of the field. Another part of the beautiful Old Testament law of the people of God, they were to care for the impoverished. By not gleaning the entirety of their fields, they were to leave something for those who were poor and could get into the fields and care for themselves. That was Ruth's lot. If you feel marginalized this morning, without social standing, without power to provide for yourself, Ruth's inclusion in the family of God, Jesus' genealogy reminds us that God's providence is greater. And that everybody is invited, regardless of economic status, social status. Everybody's invited in. Paul said there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ. Everybody's invited into the family of God. This is significant because foreigners and women in particular had been held at a distance. They weren't to enter into the temple courts, into the place of worship. 
But now Jesus just throws open wide. Everybody's welcome in. Ruth is, is an example of that. You might say some of the early fruits of the inclusion of God and all peoples. The final woman's name is not even mentioned. Many of you know her name. It's Bathsheba. She's introduced as Uriah's wife and David's wife. Her story well known as well. King David lusted after Bathsheba, abused his power. Having Bathsheba brought to him for his pleasure, the quintessential Me Too mo moment, that when Bathsheba reports that she's pregnant, David orchestrates the murder of her husband Uriah. You talk about the dysfunctional family. Well, there isn't a family in this room that could hold a candle when it comes to dysfunction. Couldn't even hold a candle to Jesus' family tree. We see God at work in the lives of real people here. These aren't sugar-coated stories. It's one of the reasons I, I find the, the Bible so endearing and enduring, frankly. This isn't a scrubbed version of, well, here are the, the best and the brightest in the family. These are people who have made a tremendous mess of their lives. They've let their passions run rampant. They've utilized their power for selfishness. The message that comes through loud and clear is that God is greater than all their sin. If you feel too victimized, if you're a victimizer, and you feel you've acted too cruel, be encouraged with the stories of Uriah's wife and King David. If you feel too stained by your own sin or the sins of others, too soiled, thinking there's no place for me at Glenelg Bible Church within the family of God, that's contrary to everything in Scripture. The message that comes through loud and clear in the genealogy, arguably a very boring text to read, is that none of us are too far gone whether victim or victimizer, none of us too stained by sin. It's, it's into this very family, whatever your sinfulness is, that Christ has come. He's joined us in the valley of the shadow of death. Whatever death you're experiencing because of your foolishness or your family of origin's foolishness, it's interesting to consider who writes this genealogy. He was a traitor to Israel. He literally went against the family in order to make money, and, to, and he was really good at it. He made a lot of money at it. Matthew was a tax collector. He actually had to betray the Israelite nation in order to align himself with Rome, and he was the guy that would collect your taxes. He hated by Israel. How much do you think this genealogy meant to him? <laughs> and all the list of sinners here, Until one day he's sitting at a booth, he's collecting taxes, and Jesus says to him, come follow me. Folks, on the authority of God's word, come follow Jesus. <laughs> no matter what your sin is, no matter how deeply you've been wounded, come follow Jesus. 
It is the testimony of this community in song, <laughs> week in and week out, that he is our Savior. We would urge you, if you're not trusting in Christ, to begin now. And it's a simple, don't overcomplicate it, just say, I want to be a part of the family. I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of the Savior's family. And that change will happen in your life. You'll receive the hope and the confidence that only come through Christ. It's interesting to note that the Babylonian captivity is mentioned three times in this passage. It's another event that the people of God would rather have not remembered. They were carted off into captivity. They were carried out of their home. Imagine being so disobedient to God that someone comes and forces you out of your home this afternoon. The good news shown towards us in Christ is you'll never be ushered out. He'll never leave you or forsake you. I believe Matthew brings up Babylonian captivity to celebrate the fact the whole nation's been disobedient and God's continued to work in our lives. It's not just these, these people in the family tree of Jesus who've been disobedient. The entire nation forfeited the promised land through their willful disobedience, and he didn't give up on us. He's still at work in us. He sent Jesus the Messiah to die for us. Paul says in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. And then he goes on to say, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present, the future, powers, no powers, no height, depth, anything, nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that's shown towards us in Christ Jesus. Nothing. I like to say that I am my daddy's son, and that will never change. It can't change biologically, I'm talking family of origin, and it can't change spiritually. And the reason it can't change is because he's laid hold of me. I've not laid hold of him. He's holding on to me. I'll pray for us. Father, we thank you for your... We thank you for your goodness to us. We ask that you would open our hearts, as Matt said earlier, and open our minds to act for our own good, to trust in Christ for the first time or the 50th time, to drop our masks and stop pretending that we're not sinful when the very reason Christ came is because we are sinful. Give us freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.